Hello and welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we're talking about fashion and esports with Esports Network writer Jay Hunter. Jay, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. It's, uh, it's amazing to be here. Thank you so much. Happy to have Jay on. Jay's done a lot of great work for Esports Network, and he's also a freelance writer, editor, and interviewer for a variety of other sites as well. He's on Twitter at Lunaria the Seventh, which I'll link below, and he's also the COO of Intervention Esports. Today, we're going to be talking about the focus on esports apparel. There's a lot of different aspects that go into that, from performance apparel being created by Complexity and We Are Nations to 100 Thieves becoming a leading streetwear brand to fashion. Uh, major luxury fashion brands like Louis Vuitton and Gucci finding esports activations. We're going to be talking about all of that on this podcast, just sort of going over all the different ways clothing companies are getting involved with esports. So Jay, you reached out to me with this topic. What made it interesting to you? Why did you want to talk about it on the show? Oh, well, I think I think um, recently, you know, TikTok has exploded when in terms of the esports apparel site. Um, I remember I remember seeing a video pop up about um, these teenagers dressing up in, you know, different, I would say, color themed outfits that um, feature, you know, these esport organizations themes. And it made me it made me think about it, and you know, it made me think about it because I was coming up with something we could talk about, something a topic in mind, and it just hit me, you know, esports and fashion and how it's been how it's been growing and all the aspects of it. And I remember doing I remember doing an article for Esports Network a couple of months ago, I think in December about it, and I was just like, esports and fashion, uh, it's definitely growing and. It hasn't been covered. So I was just like, wow, that's definitely a topic that we might cover. It's a great topic because there's so many different things happening in esports, which I think works great for a podcast because we can go into all these different facets, which are tied together in various ways, but are also coming from separate perspectives. You mentioned the TikTok trends and you sent me a couple of links and now my algorithm that keeps delivering me. Uh, those types of videos over and over and over again, which I enjoy. So what it is, is if people are familiar with TikTok, uh, influencers, primarily primarily women, jump in front of it and just change. It's like what I would wear if I was on FaZe Clan at TwitchCon, what I would wear if I was on 100 Thieves, uh, matching jerseys and color combos, you know, classic fashion, esports fashion. And today we saw uh, a bit of that trend and where that trend is going with 100 Thieves signing a deal with uh, Nika Lull. She's better known as the OK Boomer Girl. Uh, she drove massive, massive engagement with a TikTok uh, supporting Bernie Sanders way back, uh, that was probably like six, seven months ago. Today, she signed a deal with 100 Thieves. She's also a big-time gaming streamer. And it's that intersection of influencer, gaming, and fashion that 100 Thieves is really operating at and they showed that by partnering uh, with Nico just today. So as we see 100 Thieves focus on this aspect of their brand, does that make a lot of sense from your perspective? I think FaZe Clan is also doing a ton of merch sales as well. As esports organizations struggle to find paths to profitability, is their focus really one of the better ones in esports that you see out there? Well, 
I would say, you know, Face Clan and 100 Thieves, they're doing a great job with, you know, their esports apparel. And, the, you know, I remember, I remember, um, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I remember talking to um, a big person in the esports industry and they were talking about um, 100 Thieves and, you know, their clothing. And they said, wow, it's such an interesting take on esports organizations. Because <laughs> when you think of esports organizations, you, you usually think of just, you know, competitive gaming and anything related to that. The esport organizations are literally, you know, people think about that only. Um, but for 100 Thieves and Face Clan to basically take on this new front and go into esports apparel and just launch a full collection of, you know, intricate and unique designs and basically innovatively creating, you know, apparel that people would definitely buy, that's, you know, first and foremost, amazing. Um, talking more about uh, Nicole, I think you know her joining 100 Thieves is you know another another set another boost in their um, profile when it comes to marketing you know uh, the clothes that they're making. But really, honestly, it's such a weird take for an esport organization, but it's working. And I you know. Many, many partnerships and sponsorships have happened in the past, but to create your own line of collection that's, you know, usually made by you and designed by your own organization, that's that's amazing. That's usually, that's definitely amazing. I think it's incredibly smart. Just for where esports is right now, the biggest esports organizations are focused on competitive games, kind of. I mean, FaZe Clan's out there with the biggest, I think, 100 Thieves you take the Forbes valuation list, which is uh, not the best indicator of what the biggest esports organizations are, but a decent rundown. I think FaZe is fourth and 100 Thieves was ninth or tenth, somewhere around there. But what that they're doing is finding a way to turn their fans into revenue. And competitive play just does not deliver that revenue. It doesn't do it unless you win TI or something like that. Uh, and so what they have esports organizations have is a ton of fans and then they rely on investor capital it feels like 100 thieves and phase are investing less in the competitive play because it doesn't make much money and a lot more in creating this massive network of influencers creating really cool content uh finding other ways to leverage their brand leverage their logos and their place in popular culture to actually be successful uh, financially, not investing into the franchised esports leagues. Atlanta FaZe exists, but it's not owned by FaZe Clan. They're a minority owner who just attached their name uh, to the team. It's actually a super smart move from FaZe to get into the league without paying the buy-in for the league. So I think it's a really good move for an esports organization, at least in the current climate. Hopefully, competitive play becomes self-sustaining in the future. But as it exists right now, Esports organizations are more lifestyle brands, and 100 Thieves and FaZe are capitalizing on that with their merch lines. Yeah, completely agree. Because um, recently, I was on a call with um, Peter Dagger, or PPD, from you know the, the Dota community, big, really big player. He's played for um, multiple teams, and you know he was the former CEO of Evil Geniuses. I was on, a, I was basically on a call with with, with him um, a couple of hours ago. And I think one interesting take I can really, you know, take from that call was that he said that, you know, when it comes to esport organizations, 70% of, you know, the, the money that's, you know, going into the organization, organization 
and coming in is from sponsors. So you know, if you if you if you look at if you look at other esport organizations, and in this case, Face Clan and One Hundred Thieves, they've basically created another you know another path for them to get you know income, which is absolutely insane, and it's working. And for them to you know profit out of that, because I remember uh, when One Hundred Thieves launched their new collection. In the first day of that release, it sold out. People were lined up, and everyone was so excited, and it sold out. And it's honestly, it's such a great move. And I think we've, you know, we've we've kind of just given that approval, that notion that yeah, they did a great job, and they're continuing to do so. Yeah, the forced exclusivity aspect of streetwear launches and luxury goods is. A really interesting case study. So you mentioned 100 Thieves sells out. Every time they launch, they sell it out immediately. And that's because they don't create a ton of products to make sure that whenever it launches, it sells out immediately. That's a a strategy that's been used by Nike, Adidas for things like Yeezys or Jordans. It's also been used by a lot of the luxury brands, uh, your Louis Vuittons and your Gucci's. And those are now companies that are also getting involved in esports, we've seen a massive push of all these different luxury brands, BMW, Lamborghini, McLaren, uh, Louis V, Gucci, all push money into esports, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon. If you think about the stereotypical esports audience, they can't afford luxury goods if you're still trying to target the Gen Z that so many sponsors say they're trying to reach. Uh, but in reality, the esports audience is, is much more diverse, and especially in Asia, there's a ton of opportunity uh, for these luxury brands to create market share in some of the most fashionable communities in the world, which are in Asia. And so that's why a lot of them have focused, you know, McLaren partnered, they partnered with a South Korean team. Uh, Nike, when they got involved in the esports, they focused on China. Louis Vuitton focused on League of Legends, obviously incredibly popular in China. Gucci focused with Fanatics, that's in Europe. Uh, so a little bit different there. What is this when you see these luxury brands pushing into esports? What do you think that says about the esports industry that brands like this see an opportunity here and want to be involved with esports? Well, well, if if you think about it, if you think about business itself and if you think about an industry itself, if an industry grows rapidly and you know the, in a couple of years and it's gotten so much falling, it's gotten you know, a revenue that's passed 1 billion in 2019. If you think about it, you know, just from a logic standpoint, you know, if another industry or brands in that industry or companies or whatever it may be in that industry, see an opportunity to go into, you know, the gaming industry, the esport industry, and they have an opportunity to create a new field wherein they can profit and they can gain and they can grow and they can scale. It's literally a no, you know, it's literally a no-brainer because um, let's talk about Puma and C9. Let's talk about Fnatic and Gucci, you know. These teams, these luxury brands, you would never in your whole entire mind five, six, seven, eight years ago think that Louis Vuitton would be partnering up with Riot Games or even, um, you know, even for streamers and influencers, um, you would never think Ninja would be going up and toe with Adidas, which which is another performance um, brand. But, you know, these luxury brands, you would never think of them getting into the esport industry. You would never think of them getting into um, esport organizations. And I think 
they've realized, you know, the fashion industry, the high fashion industry, you know, all these Gucci brands, all these wonderful um, high industry, industrial brands, they realize that esports is growing and it's growing at a rapid rate and they can profit, you know, they can profit over it um, and they can take, how, how would I say this? They can take their own take of esports, but still do fashion at the same time and really, you know, kind of set a new field, I would say, because it's really unorthodox if you think about it, you know, like 10 years ago for, you know, Louis Vuitton to get into the, the betas of Dota 2 or start sponsoring StarCraft players. But nowadays, esports is at the, you know, if the esports industry is at the biggest it's ever been. And, you know, currently there's 2.2 billion gamers um, worldwide and, you know, the revenues reached a billion last year. I don't think the question would be why <laughs> these luxuries, these luxury brands are getting into esports. The question would be, what are they doing next? Because I'm so excited for these luxury brands because they're expanding, they're going to different esports organizations and they're creating their own lines, their own clothing. I'm just actually, it's, it's, I'm so excited to see what happens next. Me too. Absolutely. It's, to me, it says a couple things. As you mentioned, there's a, a change in how the gaming and industry, the gaming and esports industries work and also how they're perceived from the outside. So you mentioned 2.2 billion gamers in the world. Gaming didn't used to be a cool thing and that's changed now. The, the cool thing to do is to play Call of Duty or Fortnite if you're in the US. It's to be in gaming in some way. And that creates this place where what Louis Vuitton, their entire brand is based on being cool and fashionable and trendy. And so esports is sort of that new trend. With a ton of money entering the industry, you need to be in the places that matter to younger generations and to the highest trends. It's like, okay, we got to be in esports because this is trendy right now. This is getting cool. This is where the cool kids are going. People are leaving sports, uh, executive positions in sports to enter esports. Esports is getting tons of money. Big brands are coming in. I also thought I talked with BMW for an ad week article about three months ago, BMW sponsored five esports organizations and it was, let me hope I can get this right. It was Cloud9, G2, Fnatic, uh, Fun Plus Phoenix, and T1 Sports Entertainment. I hope I got all five yeah, of those right. Yeah, you got right. them all right. Hey, let's go. Um, it was, the, the key thread there for any fan of esports is a great League of Legends team, right? The defending champion, G2, the team they played in the final, Fnatic, the first world champion, T1, the most winning team, C9, the best American team. But what the the BMW spokesperson told me for that article is that the purchase of a BMW, and I thought this was really interesting, the purchase of a BMW doesn't begin when they are looking for a car. It begins with a poster on a bedroom wall. And esports is how you create that. So a BMW purchase doesn't just materialize when somebody turns 30 and they get a big raise. It's something that somebody's been thinking about since they were 13 and they had a BMW and they consumed uh, some sort of BMW content. We're like, wow, I really, one day I want to drive a BMW. 
I thought that was a really interesting look at how luxury goods are sold because it requires sort of this passion over time to get people to get over the hump and be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to drop a ton of money. I'm going to save up my money and buy that thing instead of getting a Honda Civic uh, for one third the price. No, they want a BMW. That was really interesting. Now, esports is the way to get on that bedroom wall. For 13-year-olds, they care a lot about esports. And so I, I thought it was a really interesting perspective on how BMW sees the esports space and how luxury goods in general are sold and where that pathway begins. Yeah, that's that's completely interesting because if you think about it, um, just like if you go to the you know the traditional industries, because esports has recently it just it, in a couple of maybe 30, 40 years, it's it's gotten to where we are now. But if you think about the traditional industri- industries, you know they've been marketing themselves for quite a long time. They've been doing this tactic and it's worked. Um, for esport industries. They've been they've been doing quite the same, you know. They've been getting into esports organizations, and they've been creating, you know, these apparel lines. And as you said, BMW has been, you know, putting their face on top of the five best League of Legends teams in the world, which is absolutely insane. Um, and these luxury brands, you know, I was surprisingly even more car brands are getting into the space. I remember. I remember a few, can't remember them all, but talking about luxury brands, I remember not just esport organizations, but organizers themselves too. Um, I remember the English Premier League got sponsored or did a partnership with Face Clan uh, for an esport apparel, which was, which is a bit weird because if you think about it, you know, Face Clan's an esport organization, the English Premier League is a you know a traditional sport but they made it work uh when we're talking about e- um, organizers for <laughs> esports uh you have blast and smiley you know you have the, recently prime league and levi's which was pretty interesting and you see these you know these top tier top tier you know brands in the fashion industry you know these luxury brands it's it's i wouldn't say that they're putting a poster on someone's wall but i would say they're putting a poster on the virtual wall because you know if you think about these gamers you think about their their targeted you know overall you know graphic you know everything's online you know games are online most of these are online so how are you going to you know get these these advertisements how do you how are you going to market this on in a new way wherein people will be interested and they've took everything online. So it's only fair since it's esports, but it's really interesting how people adapt, how brands adapt and how intelligent they make and they execute their decisions and moves. Yeah. These are brands that have decades upon decades of research that guides these decisions. And you're right. It's probably not going to relate, realize a, Cloud nine BMW poster on a wall, but just being in those spaces that kids hang out, being with the teams that kids are fans of, uh, is a great first step into creating fans of the brand long down the road. Let's switch gears slightly and talk about performance apparel, because this is something else I've been nerding out about recently. Uh, and my perspective has shifted a lot. So before we dive into some of the cool activations, some of the things that are being worked on performance apparel, what's your 
first reaction to hearing the term esports performance apparel? Because my first one, I kind of scoffed. So don't don't feel bad if it was a little weird and it's changed a little bit. And I'll tell you why. But what was your first reaction? Well, I remember. Okay, so this is a long time ago, a couple of months. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was Nike or Puma, and they launched uh, a performance shoe, and it was it was quite funny. Yeah, it was quite funny because gamers don't move. You know, they just sit down and play games. So when I first when I first learned about these in you know these fashion brands getting into esports and you know the you know developing performance apparel, I was kind of confused because we're not moving. You know, gamers. You know, well we move on the chair, but like in the old you know reality, we're sitting down playing games. That's just really how it is. Um, we're not traditional, you know, sport athletes. We don't run around. We don't do jogging. We don't do five kilom- uh, kilometer swims. No, we don't. So it was to me, it was a bit. It was a bit of like, how are they going to innovatively take on this new role in this industry? How are they going to take this field and uh, scale it up and basically transform it into something new, something we've not seen, and then they started just going after it. They started playing around with different material, you know, they started playing around with different, you know, comfortable types of wares. Um, And they really listened to players and their discomforts during, you know, on stage tournaments. For example, um, I think one good reference I could give is that when players are on an onstage tournament, right, there are lights facing them nonstop. Sometimes the air conditioning might not be good. Sometimes you may be running frantically back and forth because you have to get back to a match. Whatever it may be, sometimes these players are in such an uncomfortable situation in the clothing that they're wearing. And these brands have basically created and made... Uh, esport apparel wherein it you know it solves these these little problems that fix uh, these gamer issues but what I've seen so far is pretty 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 astounding because not only you know at first I was pretty shocked but not only not only are they trying to do something new but it's in a sense it's not too far away from the norm I would say so I think that would be that would be my reaction before and now. <laughs> Absolutely. It it makes sense. So it didn't make sense for me in the first part. I think a lot of people's first introduction to this world of esports performance apparel was that Puma Gamer show. And it was mocked. Like let's be honest about it. It was out there and people were like, What? Why is this needed? And I've talked with Puma. Matt Shaw is the guy at Puma, he's a really smart guy, understands esports in depth. And Part of what he was saying is that people tense their feet a lot and that there's a, a flexibility that needs to exist in their in their shoe as people put it up on their go up on the balls of their feet while they play. And if anybody's played a really intense video game, you know you fidget and you move around. And the whole goal of that shoe was to basically provide unlimited flexibility so that you could move your foot in any way and it wouldn't impact performance. So what really changed my perspective though. Uh, was not that conversation with Matt, although that made sense for that product. It was a conversation I had with Cam Kelly, who is a friend of the podcast, been on the podcast before. He's the chief marketing officer of Complexity. They just announced 
The Lab, which is a collaboration with We Are Nation's uh, leading endemic esports apparel company to create performance apparel for esports. And so I went into that conversation with an open mind. I was curious, you know, how this was going to do, how this was going to work. Complexity is uh, one of the leading esports organizations. Jason Lake's been around in esports for a long time, is really focused on gamer health and gamer wellness right now. He's been on the podcast as well. And he talked about esports 3.0, which is this movement towards gamer health, wellness, mindfulness, getting out of team houses, and basically just creating a more meaningful ecosystem. He's focused on posture and he's uh, really attacked the gaming chair industry because it's not the most comfortable, it's not the best for your posture. So I was curious to hear where we are nations and where Complexity thought there was room to improve in the lab. And Cam said something that was really interesting to me, and it was that the apparel is most important in the sports that operate on the smallest margins. You think about running, where you shave off a tenth of a second, and that's great. Uh, you think about swimming, you think about golf, where everything needs to be super pinpointed, and it anytime a apparel gives an advantage, we've seen shoes banned in running, we've seen swimsuits banned in professional swimming, we've seen putters banned in golfing because they provide an advantage. And he's like, no sport operates on nearly as small of a margin as esports does. And I thought that was so interesting because he's entirely right. The pixel difference in esports is so small that any an improvement in clothing may not even be acknowledgeable to the layperson. But if it allows you to get to a spot 0.01 seconds faster, that's actually a big difference in esports. But yeah, completely agree with you. Um, I remember reading your article and seeing what you know the team was doing. By the way, hands up to Jason. He's such an amazing CEO. You know, he's so passionate and he's he's such a great leader. And you know, a lot of people look up to him. But moving on to what they've been doing, I I agree. You know, uh, when it comes to performance, you know, performance wear and all that. It's not really, it's not really, I would say, normalized because it's quite new and it's, it's, it's really, it's really just honestly new and we're not, we're not sure if later down the line, you know, uh, ESL or whether it be Valve or Riot Games bans people from wearing those Puma shoes <laughs> to because <laughs> it might bring an advantage, but you know, what they're doing is very interesting. I remember, I remember talking to, uh, wonderful person, uh, Lynn, um, the gamer doc, uh, Dr. Lindsay. So I've talked to her before and she was on, she was on the podcast, I believe. Uh, she was, she was talking to me about, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but there was an Olympic runner who, who was, um, who developed insane potential and talent in a matter of years. So, in the way before, he was a nobody. He was literally nobody. And then four years later, he won, you know, he won the Olympics. He won the Olympics running. And how did he do that is that he went to high altitude training and he, he, he basically, he applied a new, you know, type of methodical way for him to get better at running. And what blew me, blew my mind wasn't that, you know, that he, you know, that he developed so much talent is that she talked about all the possibilities for esports wellness and esports apparel. 
and esports, you know, professionals too, like athletes. And she talked to me is that she talked to me about all of this, and she said, if there was someone or if there was a team that could was able and was able to listen and was able to learn and basically do things in both esports wellness and you know take apparel of course and take performance apparel and use it they'd become the best team in the world because i we've i know we've this is going a bit off off the shore but esports wellness huge performance bonus for professional players now um complexity and we are nations are taking it to the lab uh, or the lab um insane because if you think about it if you think about it very clearly if 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 it's going to give an advantage even if it may be a little one or a less significant advantage whether it may be breathable you know clothing or clothing that is stretchable maybe heat resistant water resistant dust resistant or you know more flexible that little advantage could go a long way because one example of like uh, of this part taking into play is like imagine you're playing at a tournament, right? You have two matches in a day. That would be a pretty standard thing, but you're basically at the tournament venue for hours on hours on end because you're waiting for your match. Maybe sometimes you go out, go in, but during that time, you'd be honestly, you'd be tired. Maybe it'd be too hot. Maybe it'd be too cold, but really what they're doing is that although it's not you know it's not going to solve every problem in an instant it gives them the slightest advantage to stay ahead of everyone else and you know just by making this just by doing this it's already it's already a nice thing to know that you know esports performance apparel apparel is on its way to becoming the next big thing to give Esport organizations, if not already, the advantage they need to become better, to become stronger, and to become more competitive than they ever have been. So, yeah, it's been it's really it's really amazing to see them do that. Yeah, I I think it's really interesting, and you know, it's it's awesome that it's coming from complexity because they were very vocal about hey, anything we create we're not going to necessarily use as competitive advantage. If we create something that's really important to bettering health, we're just going to share that with people. At least that's what uh, Cam promised me. And they don't have to do that. They're creating this these products. But We Are Nations has a lot of different esports partners. So there is this level of like, hey, we want to do this research to better everyone in esports. I just appreciate that perspective. Again, we, we can't say enough about how great Jason Lake is uh, and the people around him as well. Some of the actual products themselves are also very interesting. So when people hear performance apparel, I feel like footwear is probably the first thing they think of. We talked about this Puma Gamer shoe. It's where, you know, Nike, Adidas, Puma, they all got their start in footwear. Nike was literally a company founded on a waffle iron being pressed uh, into the shape of a, a rubber sole and that becoming the best way to grip a track. Uh, and so it's just like, this really interesting story. And now it's like the biggest apparel company in the world, not just performance apparel, but apparel at all. And so it all starts with the footwear, but in esports, it starts with the tech. 
and there's some really interesting applications of tech. So as I was talking to Cam, and I'll link this Esports Insider article below as we're sort of going through it here. But uh, what they talked about was there's two different products that sort of opened my eyes to what might be possible here. And one was haptic technology and the way that uh, people wearing clothes that respond to touch could give them an idea of the map. So instead of hearing footsteps just through headphones, suddenly haptic clothing could actually give them a true reminder of where exactly a person is on the map. So they'd feel it in their head if they were above them, feel it uh, behind them, feel it in their feet if they were like a floor underneath them. Sort of this like visceral reaction that allows you to immediately figure out where people are. And that's the kind of thing that could create a massive competitive advantage. And the other one they mentioned was, and you look at sort of Google Glass and uh, these different ways of creating a different display that a person could see where maybe, uh, say, take Rocket League, for example, and you could have a display where it shows the boost levels of every single person on the map. That's not something the game gives you for a reason, uh, but it's something that you could build in. Broadcasts are already doing this. And so those are the kind of advantages. That's a massive advantage to be like, oh, that guy in goal is boost starved. He doesn't have any boost to make this save. I can shoot it. And when he started talking about applications like that, I was like, oh, my eyes just sort of sort of widened. I was like, this, there's a lot of possibility. And what they're doing right now is just research. They're just looking at gamers. They're just doing a ton of tests and figuring out where there might be some possible ways of improving things. And as he talked about it, I realized that, hey, we haven't done the research, so we can't just rule this out until somebody actually starts looking at it. And with some of the different things, the excitement in his voice, I could tell that there's actually a whole lot of improvement. Uh, and some other companies are doing this as well, actually. And that gets to the final topic I want to cover, which is these performance apparel companies, Puma, Adidas, and Nike, and the work they're doing in esports. Uh, we've mentioned, we've touched on them quite a bit over the show, uh, but I want to, you know, Puma's doing some esports research right now, some research into performance apparel. So is Nike. Nike brought two League of Legends pros. I believe it was UZI and not Faker. I don't think it was Faker, but they brought them out to the Beaverton campus, my hometown, shout out to Beaverton, Oregon, uh, where they learned about sort of their physical well-being and their current state, you know, what they're really good at, their reaction time, scores in the 98th percentile, uh, but they can hardly do a push-up. And now we've seen UZI just retire at the age of 23. Nike's whole goal is like, hey, we're going to prolong esports players' careers. Uh, but as these major brands, these sports brands that have been fighting over athletes for decades now uh, with a long, long rivalry, Nike, Adidas, and Puma just have... Adidas and Puma have a rivalry going back to World War II when two German brothers, it's literally founded by brothers, uh, Puma by one and Adidas by the other. Really interesting founding story there. Uh, and then Nike comes in around the 70s and starts becoming a major player. As these three companies start to compete in esports, what effect do you think this will have on the esports industry with these major players uh, that are so synonymous with sports getting involved in esports? Oh, well, I think it affected a lot. It's already it's already happening. So um, I was on a call a long time ago, a couple of months ago. I'm not going to mention who, just for disclosure means, but 
I was on a call with someone important and they were talking to, you know, um, at the, I think it was a DreamHack Anaheim in, I think, California a couple of months ago. So they were conducting, you know, research on performance, uh, performance and esports wellness. And I'm not sure, uh, I can't remember which brand, I think it was Adidas, but, you know, they were, they were basically, they were doing some research when it came to esports because, you know, I think they wanted to see how, how these players react, how these players, you know, basically play. And it was quite interesting to know. And then later on, a few couple of days ago, I noticed I was on another call with a, with um, a um, performance coach. And they were talking about, they were working together, as again, I can't disclose, working together with um, another brand, another big um, apparel brand that's, you know, focused on performance. And that's when I kind of realized that it's, it's taking shape. So I know we've talked about performance apparel and how great it is, but the fact that they're moving this fast and, you know, going at this rate, the, the impact it would, you know, provide, or I mean, the impact it would make on professional gaming would be insane. It's, in a sense, I would say, eSport Wellness is already a cut above the edge in terms of boosts, but adding eSport performance apparel, that's already another advantage. So I would say it would affect the competitive side, competitive side of esports industry quite greatly, mainly because I know you talked about, you mentioned how golf, how soccer, how all these things have um, different kinds of um, apparel bands. I'm not entirely sure how that's going to be for esports itself, but it will definitely impact them greatly. Because if you think about it, if, if another team doesn't have this asset, in their competitive play, they're going to be at a disadvantage, just, you know, based off logic. And what this would mean for, you know, teams that have it, it means they would have a better chance of winning. So it's either, this is how I would, I would see that it would impact it, it's either the first path would be is that every big esport organization gets into it and they're kind of on the equal standing, or these types of, you know, performance apparel or certain specific ones um, get banned. Because if it, if it provides a great enough advantage to go against other teams at a significant level, then, of course, it means a lot to organizers, to game developers that develop, you know, the, the game for the esports scene. And, yeah, yeah. there's a... There's a definite potential problem with as a lot of esports use open ecosystems. I don't think we're anywhere close to something being banned in esports. That's okay. the kind of thing that if you look at running, for example, innovation just kept happening and happening and happening. It was only in the last maybe 10, 15 years that we were like, oh, okay, wait, we're just going to keep improving stuff. Maybe we need to to step in. And generally how it happens is it's a short ban uh and then everybody gets on the same page eventually so fast swimsuits are still out so i I don't think that's something we really have to worry about in esports at least for a while but it is the potential something like the hud or 
the haptic technology that might provide enough of an advantage that we have to step in with some sort of uh, fairness and some balance there. Right now, the race between Nike, Adidas, and Puma, to me, is really interesting from a branding perspective. As these companies turn their sights towards esports, just a rundown of you know where these companies all exist at. Uh, Nike started with, well, they started with a Fortnite activation, and then they signed the LPL to a full team deal. So doing the jerseys for every team in the League of Legends Pro League over in China. Uh, Fun Plus Phoenix won the championship wearing that Nike logo. It was a first-of-its-kind deal in esports to do an entire league like that. Since then, they've partnered with T1 Sports Entertainment and I think SK Gaming as well. Uh, so really, clearly an Asian focus on their efforts. The Chinese Pro League, uh, T1 Sports Entertainment being Faker's team, the best team in South Korea. So that's where Nike is focusing right now. Uh, but we could see that expand soon. Adidas was the first into esports with some of their Premier League teams, some of the soccer teams they sponsor wanted to get involved in esports. And so now they have some partnerships with North, uh, Grow Up Esports, some of these different smaller esports organizations than uh, Nike or Puma, but they also have Ninja. So they focus on that streamer partnership, creating a unique shoe with Ninja and a merch line around that. So that's kind of how their approach to gaming is. You could compare that to 100 Thieves and FaZe Clan as the other companies focus on competitive gaming. Uh, Adidas is like, no, the influencers are where where we want to see our, our gaming focus. And then Puma has just two esports organizations, but the two biggest, I believe, uh, Gen G and Cloud9. Cloud9, definitely, and it's between Gen G and T1 Sports Entertainment. I'm not sure which one's technically bigger, but I think the nod goes to Gen G. And Puma's just been focusing on those two organizations, the Gen G one, fairly recent, Cloud9. Going on a year, I believe it was last fall, they signed that partnership and just released a whole new summer line of collaborations there. Do you see, do you think we're setting up for like an arms race between these three companies as they all start sponsoring esports organizations? And it's just like, oh, okay, maybe the floodgates haven't quite opened yet, but they're about to. And it's just like, okay, now G2's gone, FaZe Clan, uh, Hundred Thieves, maybe not Hundred Thieves, maybe not Phase Clan. They're they're doing their own merch. So I'm curious. Do you think we see like sort of a flood of all these companies snatching up the biggest names in esports, or is it going to be sort of just like a slow go? Uh, as endemic companies such as We Are Nations have quite a few esports partners, Complexity G2, uh, quite a few others as We Are Nations. Now they can't really compete with a Nike or Adidas if those companies want to focus their money on esports. Um, do you think they want to focus that money, I guess, is the question. Are they going to start grabbing up all these different assets? Maybe the Overwatch League, maybe the Call of Duty League gets a gets a jersey deal, stuff like that. Is that something we're uh, coming soon? Well, I mean, you know, if they, you know, if they if they really wanted to, there would be no power on earth to stop them because they're they're honestly they're they're you know they're one of the the biggest brands out there when it comes to performance clothing and there would be nothing stopping them i think what's happening now um since they've entered in the couple past years is that you know they're testing they're testing the waters you know i think it's already happening that it's going at a rapid pace because you see every 
big esport organization have you know i would say maybe 80 70 percent of them have an e performance clothing brand partnership already lined up already under them so i think it's not about i would yeah i would say it's an arms race because you know it's clearly they're going head to head but it's really just about which one will they've already commit but it's really about which one you know commits fully but honestly these 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 brands have been they've been toe to toe you know they've been they've been up here down there up here down there and they've been really equally equally known as the biggest brands in the world i think i think maybe in a sense they are at an arms race and they're trying to get to the destination as fast as possible who knows what that may be maybe to be the number one uh, performance clothing brand in the world for esports but i'd say they're doing a great job at creating this new field in the industry um but they're doing this i want to say competitively because it doesn't seem competitive i would say i would say on a positive note i would say they are at i would say they are at an arms race but at the same time they're helping them each other each brand create a field for performance clothing in the esports industry like they are racing of course because business is business you want to be better than the other person but at the same time you know they're helping carve the way for each other which is quite quite nice quite nice i'd say yeah they're also just grabbing assets uh, i talked with matt as well at puma about this just slightly and he was like yeah you know haven't really bumped heads yet there's enough in the esports space for us all to operate uh, that only feels like a matter of time though if you look at how sports like say the nba you know the nba's biggest sponsor used to be converse and then as Jordan became massive, it was like, oh, wait, now we got to we got to sign NBA players. Uh, Puma just recently has signed a bunch of like rookies and some of the good young players. Nike has LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and Kevin Durant. Uh, Adidas has Damian Lillard. And so there it's this constant push for different athletes. And that's happened in a wide variety of sports. Puma and Adidas have fought over soccer players for a very long time. And sometimes it's league-based deals. That's one of the huge ones. Nike just recently grabbed the MLB deal uh, from... It wasn't owned by Puma or Adidas. It was some random company, actually. I can't remember which one, but now it's Nike's. Uh, Nike has the NBA, I believe. I think they took that from Adidas uh, a few years back, if I remember correctly. So they've been competing for a lot of other things. And right now they don't have to because there's so many assets unclaimed. But it only feels like a matter of time before they start wanting to get these same influencers, these same people uh, signed up under their brand. And it becomes a sort of a LeBron James situation where Adidas and Nike both were just dropping massive checks and basically a bidding war to see who could get the 18-year-old the rookie so I'm really excited to see, you know, how this develops going forward because it feels like an interesting push in esports and it feels like something that we've only seen these baby steps into. And it's going to be performance apparel based. It's also going to be influencer based. It's going to be streetwear based. 
So I think that wraps up sort of where we're going to go is like all these different apparel avenues in esports are just slowly being explored. And I'm excited to see how much further we can take it, where 100 Thieves can can extend to as a streetwear brand. I feel like they've already gotten to a, a level that very few brands reach uh, being, you know, NBA players are wearing 100 Thieves clothing in. It's all about gaming's explosion, gaming's cool factor. Uh, so Jay, thank you for coming on the show. It was great talking to you. I appreciate you bringing this topic. It's one of my favorites to talk about. Uh, can you plug your Twitter, uh, your new esports organization, oh. or your new role with the esports organization at Intervention Esports, and where they can find you across the web, especially at Esports Network? Um, well, first and foremost, thank you for having me. Um, I'm glad this was my, I would say, my Esports Network podcast legacy episode <laughs> for myself. But yeah, it's been amazing. Um, thank you for having me. Um, you can find me on Twitter under, uh, at Lunaria the Seventh, basically Luna, then Ria, and then the and Seventh. Um, you can find the esports organization that I work for as the COO or Chief Operating Officer at Intervention Esports across Twitch, YouTube, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find our Discord link in our Twitter bio. Also eFuse too. So yeah, thank you so much for having me, Mitch. Thanks for coming on, Jay. It was great talking with you. Really enjoyed the conversation. To our listeners, Thank you for, for tuning in. As always, I hope you enjoyed this comprehensive look at how apparel is evolving in esports. I've got some awesome podcasts coming out next week. I know that this was a long gap before this podcast, but I promise I'll make it up to you next week. One I'm really excited about, I can tell you right now, is with Mac, the young rookie for the New York Subliners in the CDL. Uh, doing that interview on Tuesday should be published on Wednesday. But we're going to be looking at the move to online play and the players who were not super stoked about it. We'll see if Mac was one of those players uh, as they move online for champs this year. So be on the lookout for that one. A couple other podcasts coming out next week as well. As always, thanks for listening. And one final note, if you want to be a sponsor of both the Esports Minute and the Esports Network podcast, we're seeing a lot of new listeners recently. Uh, and thank you to all of our new people who are tuning in. Let me know if there's any topics you want me to cover. And if you're a sponsor, work for a brand who wants to connect with those listeners in our ever-growing listener base, I'll put a link to connect with Esports Network CEO, Mark Thimmig, in the bio of this podcast. We're looking for a sponsor right now, and we hope that could be you. So again, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and I'll be back next week with some pretty awesome podcasts.